0: Good evening everyone and welcome. Tonight's class is titled Three Judges and One Verdict. A fascinating, fascinating class. But before we get there, I'd like to bring regards from Crown Heights where I just attended the International Conference of Shluchim. It was an amazing, amazing get-together. But I'd like to share with you one story that was really special that I heard. Well, I'll share with you a few of them, but one story on a side topic. There was a child who unfortunately grew up in an absor- observant home but he got very frustrated with his family and ran away. He ran away and he decided he's losing all connection to Judaism. His parents tried what they could and they couldn't bring him back. And they wrote to the Rebbe, well, to be specific, his mother wrote to the Rebbe and said, my child has run away, he's run away from the home, run away from the family and run away from Judaism. What do you expect the answer to be, Yosef? Give him time. Give him time. What
1: he wants to
0: do. The Rabbi responds and says, make the most magnificent Friday night ever. Make the most magnificent Friday night. It should be like a banquet. You know, it used to be in this house. They would come Friday night and the father would be so tired he'd fall asleep. And the children were just irritated. It was a and energy. Well, this week, all of a sudden, the mother invests her whole week into the Friday night. She makes everything the kids like. She did not share the response she had gotten with her husband or her children. In other words, no one understood that there was something behind this. She invested in Shabbos. Well, her husband sees her investing and he starts investing. He starts preparing a story of the Vartorah. Come Friday night, and it's, ma- it's majestic. The kids are have their parents' full attention. There's delicious food on the table, the Shabbos candles, the white tablecloth. It's another era, another, another sphere. It goes on for a few weeks until finally the children meet their oldest brother and they say, Ya you don't know what you're missing out on. Friday night is the most magnificent, it's the most amazing thing ever. And this went on for a few months until finally the older brother is like, Whoa, maybe I should check it out. And he came home just for the Friday night. And slowly that brought him back in. But one technical point from this story I think is very important. The Friday night Shabbos meal is really a time for us to create a family. It's a time for us to connect with each other. And aside for the holiness of Shabbos, on many levels, it keeps, it keeps our families together. It's a very special, very important time. Focusing on our task at hand, three judges, one verdict, and the Bainani. Yesterday I went to a class by, by Rabbi Nachum Kaplan. Rabbi Nachum Kaplan, he is the head of the Chinuch office for America's Liniani Chinuch, and he is the head of the accrediting agency for the... Um, private schools national accrediting agency. He is responsible together with his agency for 13% of private schools in America. Um, Together they are responsible for the education of millions of children in America. And we are working with him currently um, as we go through the accreditation process in Maimonides. We're very excited about that. But, I was by a class yesterday and he shared two amazing stories. He himself was directed by his mashpia his mentor to think before davening chasidus for 5 minutes but the directions were to think 5 minutes without any break or interruption about anything else focus purely on the chasidic thoughts okay he walks out of the room of his mentor and he says no problem easy 5 minutes it didn't work not successful not even for a minute Impossible. Not impossible, I take that back. For him, at the time, it wasn't possible. He goes back to his mentor a few weeks later and he says, This is not possible. (laughs) And the Mashpia, he says, I didn't expect you to be able to do five minutes. I expect you in many years to be able to do five minutes if you start now. He said, right now your task is to try for a few months to focus for one minute and in a few months you'll have control for one minute and as you get older and as you keep on working with this strength within you you'll be able to slowly get to five minutes that's perhaps a lifetime dream to be able to completely focus nothing else in mind aside for the Hasidic thought <coughs> and this leads us to a second story of Reb Nisan Neminov Reb Nissen Neminov, he was a mashviya of the Yeshiva Tomchei Tmimim in Brnois, France Hasidic mentor for thousands of people and he was coined by many of his mushpai, many of the people that he w- met with and, and he dealt with they coined him the Vainini. he was on a whole different sphere they said he is a Benini. his nephew Rabbi Yossi Denver from Florida at the time a child he goes over to his uncle, and he says, Uncle, they're calling you the Bainani. Is that correct? Are you a Bainani? Well, what do you say to that, Yishai? No. <laughs> <So no. laughs> you <say> no. <laughs> no. And his uncle turns to me and says, Do you have the ability... He, Rabbi Nisan Nemenev turns to his nephew, Rabbi Yasi Denberg, and he says, Do you have the ability to focus for one minute? Stop everything in focus for one minute. Rabbi Denberg says, I think I could do it. He says, your lifetime is made up of one minute. And that's the debate. One minute at a time. Conquering one thought at a time. One emotion. <laughs> one final story before we go inside. The Rabbi as a young child was with many of his friends. And there was a, lo- a large tower. A large uh, beam. And they had a contest. Who could climb to the top? And the other children, they got scared, they went halfway, they looked down, and they came back, they got scared. And yet all of a sudden, a young child there everybody was able to get to the top. And later on, his friends asked him, his mother asked him, How did he do it? He says, if you look up, you just keep on going. You don't look down. Every step you take is another step. And that's the vainini. One step at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time. Here we go. Now, before we go into chapter 13, one more introduction. <laughs> We have to summarize what we've been learning so far. And then we're going to go back to the initial questions in chapter one. And finally, the thirteenth chapter will answer some of them. In chapter one, we said there's five levels. There's the Russia that is only bad, Russia viraloi. There is the Russia viralloy, the Russia that is good, the Bainani, the intermediate, the tzaddik virale, the tzaddik that is bad, the tzaddik vetoevle, and the tzaddik that is good. Five levels. Any questions about the five levels? Let me repeat them again. You have two opposite extremes, which is a full tzaddik, completely good, and the full rasha, completely bad. Two extremes. You then have the middle path, which is a benani, the intermediate. Between the Benini and the full Tzaddik on one side, and between the Benini and the full Rasha on the other side, there's, a, a middle, there's another middle path. You have the Tzaddik that has bad, Tzaddik viraloi. And on the other side you have the Rasha that has good, <laughs> Rasha V'toy v'loy. So in order, starting from the top, you have Tzaddik V'toy a Tzaddik that is all good. Then goes the Tzaddik V'raloy, a Tzaddik that has bad. A benini, the intermediate. Then you have the rush of a Toivle, the rush that is good, the rush of a Raleigh, and the rush of that has no good within him. Any questions? No. Throughout the last chapters, we discussed how a Tzaddik is someone who is completely... He, he doesn't... The evil is non-existent within him, and even if it's existent, it's completely nullified. The rush is someone which unfortunately... The bad is not active, and if, he's, if it's a real white russia the bad is basically non-existent, it's hovering over him. And the last chapter we learned about the Benini, the intermediate. His thought, speech and action are in check, but his emotions inside, the evil is fully active. Inside of his heart, the evil is fully active. Here we are. Five levels. Now, let's go back to two questions we asked in Chapter 1, and we're going to be able to fully answer them. Tanya, Besoyi, favorite Gimel, Danida, the Tanya opens up and it asks a question. Could anyone share with me the opening question of Tanya? Anyone want to share? What is the opening question of Tanya? <laughs> we we the first class was titled what's, The first cl- ta- class was titled "What's a healthy self-esteem." It was based off a question, because on the one hand, the, the Talmud shares with us that a person should view himself like a Russia, and on the other hand, we learn if you lo- look at yourself like a Russia, you're going to be down. So the opening question of Tanya was: We have a contradiction. In one place in the Talmud, it says you should look at yourself as a Rasha. And in another place in the Talmud, it says it's prohibited to look at yourself like a Rasha. Clear contradiction. Chapter 1, this is on page 2. Chapter 1, page 2. Should we look at ourselves like a Rasha or should we not? Sandra, question clear? Should we say it again? Good. Clear. <laughs> and now, we're going to answer that question. But before we answer that question, we're going to answer one more question. The Talmud defines a bainani Benanid, Zeh, Vzeh, Moishlan. It says the intermediate, this one and that one, control him. And when we learned it in chapter one, it just looked like another phrase. The bainini, this one and that one, control him. But now we're gonna learn that the wording is so precise. And that's where we're gonna start now. The Talmud doesn't say the bainini, this one or that one, rules him. The ruler would be Maishel. A Maishel is a ruler. Mem Vav Shinlamid. The Talmud could have said, Beynini the intermediate, Zev, zev This one and that one, the animalistic soul and godly soul, rule over him. The Talmud does not say that. The Talmud does not say, Zev Vzeh This one and that one rule him. The Talmud says, that the intermediate, Zev, Zev, this one and that one, the good, the animalistic and godly soul, Shaivtan, judge him. In other words, the animalistic soul and godly soul are only judges. As the title of this week's class is Three Judges. They're only judges, but there's going to be one final verdict. Well, if you have two judges, the animalistic soul and godly soul, Who's the third judge here? We're all familiar that for a Jewish court, there must be three judges. I don't know, in the American system, could two judges ever do anything? It's hard enough for one. (laughs) No. Four? European
1: judges in the (laughs) Roman system is three judges, but in English common law,
0: there's one. One. Okay, the Torah says we need at least three. Why do we need three? Because, like this, there's never going to be a fight. There'll always be a, a majority ruling. We know whatever the majority says, that's the way it is. Just today, with my Talmudic class, over here we have two representatives, Shmodavit and Mendel, we learned about something called Zabla. Zabla is a section in Talmud in Tractate Sanhedrin, it's a really cool section. And Zabla is an abbreviation for Zeborer Lo echot What happens if you have a fight? Yeah, the Yankel and Shimon get into a fight, and they say there's no Jewish court that is good enough for this fight. It's such a big... So what should we do? So the Talmud has a suggestion. The Talmud says Yankel choo- chooses one judge. Yankel could choose any judge he wants, someone he thinks will be able to fully understand him. Shimon chooses one judge. So they each have one judge on their side And then together they choose the third judge Always three judges Who is the third judge in our case? You have the animalistic soul, the godly soul And the third judge is Hashem We learned last week That the Bainani has Hashem supporting him Three judges But one verdict And that's going to be the verdict Of the godly soul and Hashem together And now we know why the Talmud says that the Bainani, this one and that one, judge them. Because the animalistic soul doesn't rule the body. The The animalistic soul does judge. He gives his input. He doesn't stop. But he does not rule. Let's see this inside. Chapter 13, page 54 in the Tanya. Chapter 13, page 54. Therewith, according to what we've learned in the previous 12 chapters, therewith will be understood the commentary of our sages that Bainani, intermediate people, are judged by both the good and evil natures. That means the the intermediate, the Bainani, the good, the godly soul, and the evil, the animalistic soul, are both very active. They're both giving him advice. How do I know that they're both giving him advice? So the, Tal- the Talmud continues. For it is written. Ki limin evion lehoshia mishofte Nafsho." When he. Who's he? Hashem. When he stands at the right of the destitute. On the right side. Who's on the right side of your heart? The right side of your heart is the godly soul. The left side of your heart is animalistic soul. So let's read the, the passage again. When he stands at the right of the destitute, when Hashem stands at the right of the animalistic soul, of the, sorry, at the right of the godly soul, to deliver him from the judges of his soul. Hashem stands on the right side to deliver you from the judges of your soul. Judges, it should have said the judge who are the judges. From here, the Talmud learns out that the animalistic that the person has more than one judge, two judges, the animalistic and godly soul. So the Rebbe Shneur continues clearly, and he says, note that they did not say ruled by both. The Talmud didn't say that the bainani is ruled by both the godly and animalistic soul? No. God forbid. Because, where the evil nature gains any control and dominion over the small city, if the, evil soul, if the evil soul is ruler, even though but temporarily, one is at such times deemed wicked. Remember, if someone even doesn't protest to something negative being done, he's called a rasha. So, if we would say that the intermediate, the animalistic soul is ruling him, he's not an intermediate, he's a wicked person. (coughs) So, the Talmud is sharing that the intermediate, the Bainani, the godly soul and animalistic soul are advising him. But they're not ruling him. There's only going to be one ruler. Any questions? let's see that inside. very good question who's the ruler? Hashem or the godly soul? the answer is going to be both because you have to have two judges the majority is going to win so the answer is both Hashem with the animalistic, with the godly soul together is the ruler the evil nature in the Bainini, however is no more than for example a judge who gives his opinion on a point of law. The an- the animalistic soul, he's a judge, he's sitting at a court case. He gives his opinion. He says, hey, the law should be such and such. Yet, it is not necessarily a final decision to be implemented indeed. You have three judges, you go around, each one says their thought. You know, in, in, Tal- in Talmud and in Torah law, there's so many specifics. The youngest judge says, first, and the oldest judge says last because if the oldest judge says first the youngest judge can't talk anymore very very fascinating but the the animalistic soul he's a judge he gives his opinion but it's certainly not final for, why not for there is another judge who is contesting this opinion it is therefore necessary to arbitrate between the two and the final verdict rests with the arbitrator The final verdict is going to be the third. Whoever is going to come and agree with one of them. It's interesting, today, in Torah Law, there's many things we can't do. Unfortunately, the smicha, the rabbis today, don't have the same authority as the rabbis many years ago, because there was a time period where the tradition of smicha stopped. And so that means I'm a practicing rabbi, but I don't have my smicha from someone who got it back to Moshe Rabbeinu anymore, unfortunately. Just to explain shortly, smicha, real smicha, has to be from someone who received it originally in Israel. There was a time period during the Crusades where there was a time period for, I guess, one generation, 30 years, where there was no rabbi who received Tzmicha in Israel. And that 30 years broke the tradition and therefore, today, we don't have the same authority as rabbis many years ago. We can't judge um, capital offenses. Um, it's interesting. We have here David. David is a big fan of Rabbi Steinzaltz, Rabbi Steinzaltz. one of the things he'd like to do is create a Beit Din, uh, a proper Beit Din. And there are certain methods to do it. You could talk to David for more. Are you familiar with that, David? He was trying to create a Betin? Yes. Like Sanhedrin, yeah. I'm also
1: familiar with the Betin, the Grand gets.
0: So, the Betin, there has to be always an odd party. An odd party? Okay, so here we have the evil soul and the animalistic soul, and now we need the arbitrator. And that's what we're going to say. Similarly, page 54, left column. Last paragraph, similarly. The evil nature states its opinion in the left part of the heart. Remember, the left part of the heart is where the animalistic soul is. The right part of the heart is where the godly soul is. So the left part of the heart pipes up and says, Hey, do something bad. Which ascends to the brain for contemplation. Whoa, the brain wants to maybe, maybe it's a good idea. Immediately it is challenged by the second judge. The divine soul in the brain, extending into the right part of the heart. The abode of the good nature, the godly soul is primarily in the brain and also in the right side. Okay, so let's try that again. Again, the left side shoots up, the animalistic soul shoots up a negative thought. The godly soul now comes and says, hey, relax, listen to my opinion. The final verdict, and here comes the excitement, comes from the arbitrator, the Holy One, blessed be he, who comes to the aid of the good nature. As our sages said, if the Holy One, blessed is he, did not help him, he could not overcome his evil inclination. Hashem helps us. Without Hashem, we wouldn't be able to do it. Hashem helps us that we're able to succeed. What is this help? The help comes by means of the glow radiated by the divine light which illuminates the divine soul that it may gain the upper hand and mastery over the folly of the fool and evil nature in the manner of the excellence of light over darkness as stated above. We learned last week and two weeks ago that there is Yisra'in ha'or menachoshech light has a big power over darkness that power of light over darkness is the energy Hashem is giving to the godly soul we said that there's three judges and that God and Hashem is the third judge and supports good where is this support? that is the Yisro'in ha'or menachoshech the fact that good is always going to overpower bad the fact that light will always overpower darkness, that is the aspect of Hashem telling us, I'm supporting you. That is Hashem's blessing itself. And now we understand the verse, going back to the beginning of of the chapter, from the Talmud, Let's, let's read over the first paragraph on page 54 again. And now it's going to be crystal clear. Therefore will be understood the commentary of our sages, that intermediate people are judged by both the good and evil natures, for it is written, let's look inside of this verse, when he stands, he, Hashem, is standing at the right of the destitute, Hashem is right there, on your right side, imagine you're walking around and wherever you go, Hashem is standing right on your right side to deliver you from the judges of your soul, Hashem is right there, Hashem is that third judge. The Talmud is already telling us this. The Talmud is saying there are two judges and Hashem is right there to support you.
2: So when you say support you, it's like we have to initiate Hashem's support.
0: One hundred percent. Will you initiate it? Without our initiation. Correct, correct. If some darkness can be in a room. If you turn off all the lights, darkness is there. If a person doesn't light the flame, then yes, the darkness will prevail. You know, we had there's a famous expression that says, "Peace <speaking in Hebrew> Hashem says, "Open up for me, like that tiny hole of a needle." It's a beautiful quote. Peace <speaking in Hebrew> al One of the tiniest holes we all know. It's so I, I don't sew, but there were a few times I had to put it. It was trouble. Big trouble trying to get it through. I'm really shocked. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons I don't sew. But um, Hashem says that tiny hole that you could barely get the string through, that's all I need, Hashem says. Open up that tiny hole. And Hashem continues. If you open up that, that little hole, I'll take it and I'll make it as big as Pischo The opening of the holy within the temple which was a hundred amos tall. It was a hundred and it was a hundred amos is it was a hundred and fifty feet tall. Shem so says make the smallest hole and I'll make it do whatever is necessary. So yes, we do need to take that first step, and that's something we learn very often in Judaism. We do need to put our best step forward, but Hashem will do the rest. Yeah. And here we conclude The first section of chapter 13. And that is, we've explained the quote, (laughs) Bainani Zevizem Oshlan, it's the Bainani's intermediate, the good and bad. Judge him, they don't rule him. Any questions? Yesha, I got it? Awesome. And now we turn back to that previous question of Kirusha. We said I don't understand. Should you look at yourself like a wicked man? Should you look at yourself like a good person? The Talmud shares with us that when you're born, we make you swear, be a Tzaddik, but look at yourself like a Rasha. And yet, in Ethics of the Fathers, in Pirkei Avod, it says, do not dare be a Rasha. Do not dare imagine yourself as a Rasha, because if you do, either you'll fall into depression, or you're just gonna make a joke of the whole matter. Look at in education, I see clearly students that don't succeed, we're in trouble. You need to succeed. If you go over to someone in a whole day, you tell them you're terrible, you're terrible, you're terrible, it's gonna start affecting them. <clears> they're <throat> gonna think they're terrible. So how does this work? Should you look at yourself like a rush or should you not? And here comes a beautiful diok. A diok means it's this beautiful insight. We're going to look inside of the words of the Talmud itself. And I'd like you to look back to chapter 1, page 2. Let's look back at the wording of the Talmud. And we're going to see that we completely didn't translate. We didn't look correctly. Chapter 1. Let's read that first paragraph. Chapter 1, left column. The quote from the tract, they need the end of chapter 3. It has been taught, need the end chapter 3, that when a young child, when a, the fetus is about to come out of the womb, an oath that is administered to him before birth, warning him. It's an it's a oath every child makes right before he's born Be righteous. Be righteous. Be righteous. And be not wicked. Be righteous, be not wicked. And even if the whole world tells you that you're righteous, they come and say, Yeshua, you're a tzaddik. Yeshua, you're a tzaddik. In your eyes, regard yourself as if you were wicked. Let's look inside of these words. It doesn't say, regard yourself as you are wicked. It says, regard yourself as if you were wicked. In Hebrew it doesn't say, it doesn't say it says, Hey ye Beinecha Rasha. It doesn't say hey, ye Beinecha be in your eyes, wicked. It says Hey ye Beinecha Kira. Be in your eyes like a Rasha. That little like is the whole difference. I've shared this before with my with my talmidim. They say Yankel one time went ahead and spread a rumor that Getzel is a thief. Getzel runs to the local Rav and he says, Rav, Yankel, spread a rumor about me, lost Hara, mighty Shema. The Rav calls in Yankel and he says, Yankel, uh, what's this rumor you're saying about Getzel? and he just smiles he says you're right I, I lied okay so the Rav says look this is very serious but the smallest step right now is for you tomorrow to get up in front of Shul and make an announcement I want you to make make it public that is not a thief okay and he goes thinking back and forth he says no problem Rabbi I'm delighted to do so the next day he gets up in Shul he bangs on the beam and he says gentlemen announcement Gentleman. say say that say louder <laughs> Getzel is not a thief. He said, he, said, he said the words. But the way he said it made the whole difference, right? Getzel is not a thief. The Talmud doesn't say, be, be, in your, be in your eyes wicked. It says, be in your eyes like wicked. That like makes the whole world of a difference. The Talmud is telling us, be in your eyes like a bainani. The Talmud is telling you, be in your eyes as if that evil is still active within you. That is no contradiction. Yes, when you're born, we tell you that even if the whole world is saying Yeshua, you're a tzaddik. Yeshua, still imagine that the wicked is the wicked is active in the left ventricle. It's no contradiction. The ethics of the fathers, which which says, do not imagine yourself to be a rasha. That's talking about the real thing. Don't let yourself get caught up thinking you're a rasha. Then you're in trouble. Let's see that inside and then we'll take questions. Page... We're back in page... We're back in Chapter 13, thank you. Page 54. Right column, yet. Yet, inasmuch as the evil in the heart's left part of the benini is in its innate strength, even though in the left part of the body the bad is fully active and what is it doing? Craving, after all the pleasures of this world, not having been nullified in its minuteness, in relation to the good, it's still there, it hasn't been nullified, nor having been relegated from its position to any degree, it's fully active, except insofar as it has no authority and power to diffuse itself throughout the limbs of the body. It's fully there in the left ventricle. What happened is, unfortunately, in its mind, God is siding together with the godly soul, and therefore, because the Holy One, blessed as he, stands at the right hand of the poor man, Hashem has sided with the godly soul, so the animalistic soul says, temporarily, I'm stuck. (coughs) I can't go throughout all the limbs, because Hashem is helping him, and irradiating... is helping him and supporting his divine soul. So such a person, this knee, because the bad is fully active, such a person is likened to a wicked man. Is Kirasha, in the words of our sages, Asi lukala kula." even if the whole world tells you that you are righteous in your own eyes regard yourself as if you were wicked not as actually wicked the Talmud never told us you're actually wicked God forbid the Talmud is saying imagine in yourself that you are as wicked and that's what it says in footnote 8 here is the answer to the question raised in the beginning of chapter 1 the clue is in the word Kirasha, not Rasha. Clear? We've just answered the question. Yes. You should always imagine that the bad is fully active. Cuz if you don't, then you get ahead of yourself. Then you're like, "Aha, uh-huh. I could do anything I want. Any desire I have in my mind cuz I'm righteous." And unfortunately, there are people this way that they feel that they've refined themselves and they're at a state where whatever their mind tells them now is holy. No. That is not the way we should act. We should always be on guard. We always should be on guard. But one should consider oneself to be a Benini. Don't trust the world if they tell you you're a Tzaddik, no. Even if the whole world says you're a Tzaddik, think of yourself like a Benini and not accept the world's opinion, which would have him believe that the evil in him has been dissolved by the good. Which is a category of a tzaddik. Remember, we've learned that a tzaddik is someone who has no bad. So if the whole world is telling you you're a tzaddik, that means the whole world is trying to convince you you have no bad in you. Don't believe them. Rather, should he consider himself in his own estimation, as the very essence of the evil is in its full strength and might. In the left part, as from birth. Would you say then basically
2: it's saying that we should remain humble? Try to be
0: humble? It's much more than being humble. Yeah. The Talmud at the end, of Sin, uh, the end of Tractate Sota tells us that the Mishnah shares that from, from when Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, when Rabbi Yehuda the prince passed away, humility ceased. It's a quote. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Yosef, a third generation Amora, <coughs> Man who was blind. We learn he was an outstanding Talmudic scholar. You could ask Mendel and Shmuel David for more information. He stands up in the yeshiva when they say this and he says, Humility ceased. <laughs> look at me. I'm humble. Yosef yeah. Could you repeat that still? Could you tell me what how that makes sense? All eyes look upon you. Yeah. There you go. I am still I'm still humble. <laughs> Talmud, you heard this you heard this Talmud before? Don't a few times. times few times what? don't
1: believe,
0: don't believe it.
1: it don't believe it yeah, it's it's a
0: a too. <laughs> I, the Talmud the Talmud struggles with it the Talmud says wow this is we have what's the answer? and don't let's not play lightly here we're talking about the a third generation Amora, someone who carried the torch of Judaism and because of him we are where we, we are where we are today <laughs> but he was making a joke
1: Maybe I misunderstood the question.
0: No, no, you understood it perfectly.
1: If a person says, I'm very humble, yeah. you shouldn't believe him. Because self praise is no recommendation. Yeah. On the other hand, he may be giving an honest appraisal.
0: A true story there was a rabbi Perfect. from Connecticut who. He believed that he was the chief rabbi of America and Canada. And he was one time in court testifying and they, true story, they made him swear, they made they introduced him and they said, over here we have the chief rabbi of America. And he stands up and he says, your honor, and Canada. And Canada. I'm not only, not only the chief rabbi of America, and (laughs) Canada. So the judge says Okay, okay But I thought humility He says Judge, I'm under oath (laughs) True story Rabbi Yosef said I'm humble What did he mean? And this is something That Hasidus teaches us And it is very, very important Someone who doesn't know who they are Someone who Who doesn't Recognize who he is that's not humility. It's false humility. If I go ahead and I ask, "Who's who's a talented painter?" and Baruch is a talented pa- painter and he ignores it, that's that's not humility. And if he doesn't want to tell me private, pri- whatever you know, he can say privately if he does. But fa- that's false humility. Humility is one thing and one thing only. Humility is knowing whatever you are is not because of you, it's because of Hashem. Humility is Maisha Rabbeinu said. He say, we say Myshe was the most humble person. What does that mean? He walked over bent, he, he walked hunchback, and he was like looking at the ground? No. Maisha Rabbeinu, he, he was a proud Jew. He was a leader of all Jewish people. He was a serious leader. He would tell people off. He, he was the most humble person because he knew. Or, he thought that if anyone would have the abilities he had, the godly inspiration he had, he said to himself, they would be better than me. I'm not who I am because of myself, he said. <laughs> I am what I am because of Hashem. If, I would, if anyone else would be in my position, they would be better off, he felt. That's humility. Again, humility is he recognized exactly who he is. But he recognized that it's not him, it's Hashem. And so going back to that story of Rabbi Yosef, yes, it it, it is fascinating, it is interesting how he said it. But in truth, he was trying to make a point. He said, how could he go ahead and say humility ceased? How could he go ahead and say the ability for someone to recognize how everything is fully from Hashem and it's nothing for himself has ceased? That's a level that I, I believe I'm connected to. Yes? But,
2: Rabbi, are we not also supposed to not give the appearance of pride? Um, right? And so, if somebody says, I'm the chief rabbi of the United States, and then corrects too, and also North America, it's <laughs> just coming in a little okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't, you know. Whether or not it's accurate Whether or not Hashem has blessed the person The person is still giving the appearance Of lack of humility
0: And I don't want to talk Let's put that story aside I said that story as a, a sidebar Let's talk about The story of Rabbi Yosef In the Talmud saying I am humble Rabbi Yosef recognized That the Talmud is going to be completed In two more generations and he said to seal the Talmud with the quote that humility has ended is not correct. That would be inappropriate. That's not okay. And therefore he stood up. So yes, for one to go around and start bragging, that's, that's inappropriate. But if there's, a, if there's a need for help and someone is, is silent, that, is, that would be inappropriate. Yes, yes. Does that answer? Yes, David. But it's important
1: to realize that the Tanya emphasizes, and this is why a Ben is an important middle ground. we're also great. We have within us the spark of Hashem. And to the degree that we commit ourselves to that spark and continue to aspire it, we become great also by virtue of our humility in the face of Hashem.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great point, that we all are are granted. The spark of Hashem, we all are special and unique, yes, yes. So let's put it all together, and then we'll, take, we'll conclude here and take questions. We've started off saying, how the Benini has the animalistic soul and godly soul fully active, but they are only judges. They are not rulers. There are three judges as the title of today's classes. Three judges are, Jonathan, three judges.
1: The animalistic soul... The uh, higher soul and Hashem.
0: And Hashem, animalistic soul, godly soul, and Hashem. Which two side together, Yosef? Which two judges take the same opinion? Uh,
1: either the animalistic soul or the godly soul and Hashem. So,
0: which one does Hashem join with? The animalistic soul or the godly soul? Godly. The godly soul. So, the godly soul, so we say one verdict, the verdict will be the verdict of the godly soul and Hashem together. That was the first part. And then we can continued and said that we've, we never learned that the, you should look at yourself as a rasha. We learned that the Bainini should look himself like a rasha. He should look at himself as if the bad is fully active within him. If everyone tells you you're a tzaddik, no, imagine the bad is fully active in you. And next week we're going to continue and say how the bad is fully active in you. And not only that, you should imagine that every day it's getting worse. How could that be? We'll talk about it next week. Any questions? Um,
2: does Hasidism uh, take a stand on the brain? Right side or left side? And also, sometimes, more than once or twice, I've seen Hasidic Deliberately do things and correct people to do things with
0: the right hand and not the left hand. Yeah,
2: is that part of it? are the soul or the animalistic soul. The right over the left. Of the heart or
0: the brain. The right over the left goes back to the tensifery wrote. And uh, if you re- if you'll recall at the time that we learned it, I, I shared with you about the coat jacket, <coughs> how in America. Maybe it's all over the world. They have men's coats go left over right, and women's go right over left. And I shared with you, I went to the cleaners one time, and I asked them to change around the buttons for me. Why? Because Kabbalah shares with us that the right is chesed, kindness. The left is gevur stringency. And putting left over right, even though it's something minute, it may look unimportant, but no. It's very important. We always want the right to be over the left, even in your garments. And that's why you'll see, if you ever buy garments, like the, if you ever buy a capote, that garment I wear on Shabbos, or any garments, you'll see they're all right over left. And the same thing as even in a, a suit, I have this inside. Button. I one time went to a local lady and she got really mad at me, started screaming at me. She's like, I will not put that inside under no circumstances. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> but anyway, that went somewhere else. But, uh, <laughs> but yes, so to answer your question, absolutely. Kavala shares that the right always goes over the left because the right is kindness left astringency, we always want right to win. So much so, and this is brought down in practical application in, in halacha, when you take a shower, you should put first the soap the shampoo on your head, because your head comes you're the, first at the top, and then you should do the right side of your body, and then the left side of your body, you should put on your right shoe first, and your left shoe first. This is very, very, um, you should put on your your left shoe first, right. your, no, sorry, your right shoe first, your left shoe first. No, it's the right
2: tie. sock, then the left sock, then the yes. left shoe, okay. and then the right shoe. And then tie your... The right
0: only shoe. time that the left comes first is tying. when you tie your shoes. Yeah. yeah. You put on your right shoe first, because you always put on the right first. Then you put on your left shoe first. But tying, you should tie your left shoe first. Why? Yeah. Why?
2: Because... Um, you just it you compensate for it's having a the left, for having, you tie it all up, no. a, you, like in my terms, but you're like compensating for having to put something on one foot before the other, before the other.
0: You tie your tefillin on your left hand. So tying is connected with the left. The tefillin, you tie it on your left hand. You, you wrap it with your right hand, but you tie it on your left hand.
1: If you're a lefty, unless you, you're, you, you're, you, you're a lefty, and so this is important. There are people in other segments of Judaism, I'll call them segments, um, who will insist that. Orthodoxy is rigid. This is a perfect example that Hashem realizes the difference between people. Doesn't ask somebody to wear tefillin on a side that isn't something that gives expression to his innate nature, and that's a very important point in regard to tefillin. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. Mm-hmm. So again, we the reason that we tie our left shoe first is to recognize and um, show how special the left is when it re- when we come to tying.
2: Not Isn't it the it's next to your heart? It's <laughs> a
0: new explanation then. Different customs.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I forgot it, but I know the best one is.
0: Sandra, please bring it. Please share next week. I, I'm just sharing a Tom. A, 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 I'm sure there's more than one. Beautiful, beautiful. Is is that
2: all reversed if your left handed with the shoe and the coat and
0: everything put on? I believe, when it comes to the right hand, the right, the right over left, that's even on a lefty. Meaning the right, in other words, within a lefty, your heart, your, your whole body isn't turned around. You still, the, the right side of your heart is where the godly soul is. The left hand side of your heart is where the animalistic soul is. So the this idea of getting dressed on your right side, that would still be with the lefty. Mm-hmm. The differences would be about tying, so there, there are diff- just, many differences. Just but, to right? It's tefillin, it also probably would be tying your shoe. You'd probably tie yeah. first the hand you put on filling on. Um, there are numerous differences for a lefty. I don't want to get into it. Yeah, please.
2: Uh, go ahead. I've never really gotten it clear about, does our, does our thinking come from the heart first and then go to the brain, and, or does it go the, from the brain to
0: the heart? Does our thinking go from the brain to the heart, or from the heart to the brain? Depends
2: on the topic.
0: <laughs> we learned no, no, no the truth is it's, it's a clear chapter 12 clear chapter 12 our heart controls our mind our heart uh, sorry <laughs> apologies our mind our mind controls our heart our mind should always be the first factor and I even shared how Chassidim they could tell if they should do something or not by seeing what began the process where did this idea come from? Did it come from the heart or did it come from the mind first?
2: So
0: the, the mind should always be the leading factor. Yes. At times, things will, we spoke about if someone has a desire, the lust could come certainly from the heart first. But reality, the, the when we check in, it should really always start from the brain. Yeah. yeah the brain we, you
1: answer the body. Business about the right hand with her if you forget Jerusalem.
0: Okay, David would like to mention we say, <speaking in Hebrew> If I forget Jerusalem, my right hand should be forgotten. Something everyone's familiar with
2: but if you're lucky, you should
0: would play into this idea that the right hand is the <speaking in Hebrew> ultimate hand. Thank you. <speaking in Hebrew> Literally, tishka means to forget, to shachach. <speaking> I'll <in Hebrew> um, well, remind everyone tomorrow's Giving Tuesday, so you should think of
2: an organization to give to tomorrow.